You don't have any metric today that says, this is an amazing idea. Can they actually deliver the idea? Regardless of whether once it gets to market, it's going to make any money or be successful. You have the right ideas. There is the potential. Don't let it slip away. Don't let this moment, this defining moment of your career, this defining moment of your brand slip away. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 239 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Alex Castro to the show. Alex is the best-selling author of Measure, Execute, Win, as well as the founder and creator of The Rim Score, and he believes that the gap between ideas, i.e. strategy and execution, is a persistent problem that is sidelining too many high-potential digital transformation and innovation growth opportunities. When it comes to digital transformation through our research, we know that 60 to 85% of all digital transformation projects fail or fail to meet expectations, which is exactly why I'm looking forward to the conversation today with Alex, so that together we can educate and empower you, the dear listener, so that you may maximize your future digital growth potential with confidence. Welcome to the show, Alex. It is good to share time with you today, buddy. I am very grateful for the opportunity to have this time with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Before we get into talking about your book, Measure, Execute, Win, Along with the RIM score, what is good for you right now? Personally, professionally, it is always your pick to get started on a positive note. For me, I'm excited at the amount of potential in the marketplace. There are, there, you know, those innovation engines are running and uh, it is really great to see the kind of uh, transformative thinking that people are, are coming up with. And I'm just excited to be able to help more of those ideas get to life, get to market rather than watershedding away. What would you attribute that to? Because I'm seeing the same thing, more innovation, more ideas. And I would say my mind is kind of just built for that, but an idea is only as good as it can be when it becomes a reality and it's actually applied. But, but why? Why now? Why more ideas? Why more innovation? I think the mantra of there's a better way is really embedded itself in most people's um, professional persona. Mm. And that has uh, really taken hold in, you know, being able to gain that market share. Plus, you know, especially in the, in the finance and banking space, uh, you know, it's, it's hairs of differentiation in many cases. And, and that differentiation is based on innovation or mm. the ability to, you know, create a better customer experience in the process definitively. One thing that that I always kind of share with folks is that your career and in, in your business is not based on ideas. It is based on the successful execution of those ideas. 
And I would think that most finance executives would uh, agree with that, considering how much money they pour out and, and how little they see come back. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. And like I said, you know, knowing myself as a visionary, entrepreneurial perspective, got a lot of ideas. I know that, you know, one out of 100 might actually see the life of day. I'm okay with that. Um, I live in that space, but what good are the other 99? I think it's like, I, you know, it's important to figure out, you know, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff. And you wrote the book, Measure, Execute, Win. As a fellow author, why? Why write the book? Why now? Because I know how much of a heavy lift it is to distill your thinking, to distill your ideas, and put them in a book to bring them to life, to inspire, to help, to educate, to empower others. Why? Because it had been rattling around in my head for about a decade and a half, and it needed to get synthesized into a digestible, cogent piece of information. You know, I call it an airplane read. You know, somebody could sit on an airplane, get from uh, cover to cover, and really trigger or stimulate some good consideration, some good processing in the sense of how do I get more of, of the ideas to market, especially in the context that you were talking to, right? It's like one in a hundred, that's a VC model. And in most industries, you can't afford to run your business on a VC model, mm -hmm. right? Because the VC model is I'm looking for that big bang hit. Yep. And in most businesses, you need that incremental launching a new product does not have to be the transformative core product. It's just an, either an enhancement or a new product to fill a gap. You can't count on everything that you do or relying on that one out of 100 and one out of 10 uh, to, to, to be the, the big idea. You know, yeah. In many established businesses, it's the, the one plus one plus one plus one equals that continuous evolution and development. I appreciate that idea of continuous optimization to take something that is good, mm -hmm. improve upon it, make sure. it even better, and then over yep. time, it becomes great. And I mm -hmm. like the distinction that you've made between what's going on in the VC space compared to what is going on, say, maybe at the vast majority of financial brands who are more inherently yep. risk adverse. You, you know, you think and you write a tremendous about, about the relationship between strategy on one side of the coin and execution on the other. I wanna break down each, each of these sides here, starting with strategy, why? Why is it that strategic decisions uh, either fall short of expectations or they just fail altogether? So to be able to answer that question, I'd like to baseline one simple thing, is that oftentimes what gets muddled is a successful idea, successful strategy, a good idea, let's just simply put it that way, versus executing the idea. You know, so there's a lot of proof, you know, in the sense that there are things that are executed very well, but the idea was just a bad idea, right? Mm -hmm. So Zune, Microsoft Zune was yes. a better product than the uh I, you know, the 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 iPod. It didn't, it, it executed very well, but the idea of around it just didn't work, right? So we have to differentiate those two elements fundamentally. And um, once you can make that separation and understand that just because you've gone through hyper analysis 
on the idea of whether to fund it or not does not mean that now you just toss it over the wall to the team and say, go roll this thing out, right? That's where 99% of ideas die. That's where they watershed away. And the, the thing that I continuously bring up is the fact that for many years, especially in the banking finance industry, right? We have bond ratings, mm -hmm. we have credit scores, we have things that balance the equation on how we assess and invest. Digital growth is a journey from good to great, but sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. So as an example, if, if we go out and purchase something that needs credit, our credit score gets pulled and it gets an it's an associative uh, metric that helps a lender make a decision on whether or not they are going to fund that. Yet that same lender, and listener, I hope that this connects with you, that same lender goes back and makes a decision around funding an internal project mm. with no credit score. What you do is you listen to somebody who is very persuasive or not. You look at the validity of the idea, whether it touches or connects with you or not. And then you make a decision on that. You don't have any metric today that says, this is an amazing idea. Can they actually deliver the idea? Regardless of whether once it gets to market, it's going to make any money or be successful. Can they get through the delivery, the execution process of launching the new product or implementing AI machine learning or integrating an acquisition? There's no measurement of that. And so the very people that guide our buying power and our ability to get lending and, and leverage capital, debt capital, themselves do not follow their own practice. That's the gap. And the majority of corporate decision-making is about how excited are we around the good idea? How well sold is it internally? But then we have no metric to say, can I deliver that by stripping out the cognitive bias, which let's say a FICO score does or a bond rating does and saying, can you actually give me the return that you're committing to because you actually got it to fruition and now it's in the market and it's doing something the microsoft zune example you really you <laughs> brought me back because my wife bought me a zune back in the day and i remember and it was actually it was we were engaged and i remember going on our honeymoon with that zune to to saint lucia sitting on the beach and listening to, I think it was like DJ Tiesto or something like that. So you just brought me yeah. back into my mind. It's a great, great analogy. But I think even, even better from an analogy standpoint is the idea of a credit score. We use that externally to assess risk objectively, but then internally we don't have kind of that same benchmark to measure against. And, and you brought up the idea of bias. And, and, and when it comes to strategic decision-making, you wrote about the dangers of decisions, and you note that over the past 20 years, evidence indicates that decision-making biases are killing business. And so let's let's dive deeper into this for the dear listener, mm -hmm. because 
What are these decision-making biases that we must be aware of, and why are they a problem? It is embedded in our daily thinking, right? Like, why do you buy a certain product at the market over another? And that's because of a, a cognitive bias you have, right? You either are looking for confirmation mm. in what you believe, right? And so I'm looking, I'm only paying attention for that data. Uh, or you're getting on a bandwagon. Oh, the other kids in my space are doing this thing. So I got to keep up. It's FOMO. So I got to go and do that. There's uh, about a hundred cognitive biases yep. and some very, very talented uh, behavioral economists have researched this for 30 plus years. Daniel Kahneman, as an example, I am not that person. I'm the person who connects the dots, right? And saying, based on their research and all the different things that are going on, and having been in a consulting space where we had been in banks, manufacturing, finance, uh, different industries, um, and seeing repetitive falling short of goal line, right? Yep. You know, even if you're red zone, you can't get in the end zone, right? Yep. So what's preventing that from happening is fundamentally that we introduce these biases in the decision-making process that says, that's a great idea. I like that idea. I want to run with that idea. That thing looks you know, really great. I can't wait to do it. But then the execution component is quite literally left to a strategy of hope. Last year, $280 billion was spent on technology transformation efforts that produced zero value. Hope is not a strategy. That money is pouring out the door. Now, if you reduced, you know, listener, you reduced your own personal falling short rate, right? Because failure, I, you know, it's, it's a harsh word, like falling short of your delivering your ideas. If you reduce that by 10% a year, 20% per year, year over year, the amount of value creation mm. you would see in your business would strip out a lot of that potential market erosion, brand erosion, all those kinds of things. And as a result, you're going to start to see more energy coming out of what you're doing because you're, you're bringing more to market. You're bringing more success forward. You have the right ideas. There is the potential. Don't let it slip away. Don't let this moment, this defining moment of your career, this defining moment of your brand slip away. You've got it, but there is one little piece that you're missing in making better decisions, and that's understanding how aligned is your execution capabilities against the idea, what's missing in there, because it's all correctable. Let, and let's go let's go to the other side of this. You know, we've talked a little bit about strategy and some of the challenges there, some of the dangers. Mm -hmm. You know what? Let's roll this back just a sec because sure, sure. You, you you touched on uh, the 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 falling short and I like the perspective I like the reframe there because like you said failure is a bit of a harsh term although one of the things mm -hmm. that I coach is if you think about failure failure is is the fertile seeds from which new growth springs anew it's a classroom it's 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 it doesn't mean that it's a negative as long as we learn from that going forward but but you talk about the fall off rate um and mm -hmm. and and what is the fall off rate when it comes to ideas and and how does the fall off rate eat ideas well, it, it eats it in a lot of different ways. One, your board is not going to be happy with you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Two is the, you know, it's, it's your ratios in terms of return on invested capital that's going to take a massive hit. 
More importantly, though, I think that your brand is going to take a hit in terms of sort of reputational risk and rec- reputational impact to the brand mm. when the uh, the promise of an idea is not delivered, yet the expense is still there. But it also lives in one very deep fundamental area that is continuously coming up, which is employee engagement and retention. Yeah. People are taught to win from birth. From the moment that we begin our developmental path uh, as newborns, we are taught to be successful, right? To walk, to eat properly, to speak properly, to accomplish things. Those things are continuously celebrated, right? All the way through the time we get through high school or college or whatever it may be. And then suddenly you're in the workforce and you're constantly being handed efforts that you yourself know won't be successful to the degree that they're anticipated to be successful. Yet you're asked to carry that water forward. Um, and you're doing it over and over again until the point that you just don't want to lose anymore. And more importantly, um, you're getting the tar kicked out of you because you didn't get it to work. You had no say as to whether you got to do it or not. It was simply handed to you. Mm. And there is then it creates this gap and this this epic disconnect between leadership that are making decisions on which initiatives to fund versus the uh, execution group, which is pretty much everybody else, who fundamentally is having to then take that idea and bring it to market. It's hard enough getting the the market to accept your new idea, right? Yes. That's one challenge in and of itself. The fact that you're trying to do that and get the product to work, get the idea to work, the service to work, getting the back office to run better, getting that you know that acquisition to integrate, right? So let's let's look at the acquisition data, right? One in five acquisitions actually create value for the acquirer. Thirty mm-hmm. percent are neutral, fifty percent detract value from the acquirer. Not my data, well published, well studied. Go Google it right now. Right, it's everywhere. Right, this is this is not new. But what's happening is that we're losing the potential of that acquisition. We're losing the potential of the product launch. We're losing the potential of that back office optimization. Yeah, Those are the little incremental plus and plus and plus and pluses that if we can begin to change the ratio of something being seen through rather than falling short, that's where the value creation will really begin to skyrocket because if you follow any you know economists and you follow any kind of uh, overall productivity ratios since you know pretty much 2000 2004 productivity is at the lowest rate since the 1970s yep so the tech is not helping us gain productivity right now and that's because we are not getting through the execution process of delivering the ideas we're less productive now than what we were before and it's like the tools that were supposed to free us up have i don't bogged us down bogged us down Mm -hmm. enslaved us why 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 is this because we are behaving in 1994 models of operating Mm. and we are we are thinking in 2020s strategy and so there is a total misalignment because in the 90s, we had that highest point of productivity between 94 and 2004, 
where we had, you know, a very high ratio of productivity because of tech. Then it literally fell off a cliff. Yep. And we have not seen those same productivity increases because we have not changed the model for how we approach and deliver the idea. We are still doing it under a model that is living in the 90s. And the reality is that we haven't made those adaptations yet. And that is fundamentally the root cause reason why the idea that you are thinking about right now is not going to get there because you're living in a 1990s delivery structure. And why? Because change is hard. Doing things differently is scary. And now you have to go and convince people I know that this has been our process for doing these things, these transformations. We're not going to do that. We're going to do this instead. And people are like, whoa, 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 that's different, right? That's high risk. And it's like, no, you are living in a high risk model because one out of 10, one out of 100 things work. You're living in a VC decision model. And so because you're in that, right, to somehow that's comfortable. Yep. And that's where the the, the shift won't I, I love the perspective that you just shared of we're living and operating like it's the 1990s, but we flash forwarded to the 2020s and there's this, this conflict <laughs> yeah. that is yeah. inside of us. And let's go to the other side. Let's go to the execution side here. Yep. Because you share and you believe organizations must focus more on execution and less on strategy, why is that? And how can it help us get some of these incremental wins that we're hitting a waypoint? I think about like as a kid, you know, playing the video games, like with a car, you hit a waypoint, you get more time, right? Mm -hmm. um, the same thing here, yes or no? You know, there's a lot of uh, different things that have come out over the years, right? So culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? We have, we've all heard that, right? So what has happened? A lot more leaning into culture. Right? A lot more values and culture-driven, uh, purpose statement-driven management, empathy-driven management, right? That's emerged, that's been evolving, right? So that shift has happened. And really in the context of, of the execution side, what, what has to really get re-examined, and I'm going to say this and it's probably going to agitate some people, but fundamentally where uh, a lot of the struggle is today is that the tech industry is not in alignment with business need. Yeah. Because the tech industry is there to sell projects, buy software, contract services, bring me in, well, chat. Businesses need results. They need output. They need the data from the systems. They need the information being produced. They need to push that into their analytics and their AI to understand the behavioral models of what's happening with their customers and the market and things like that. The tech industry is not interested in any of those things. Mm -mm. They're interested in selling you a project. Yep. And if the project doesn't work, oh, well, we'll give it another try. Or, well, let's do a change order. Let's reduce the scope. Let's go do X, Y, and Z, right? And that couples into the fact that we're still using a 1995 execution model against the fact that uh, the market has changed into real time. People yep. want product-led growth type interactions, self-service. I don't want to talk to salespeople. I want to go and I want to explore and do what I want to do. And then all of these promises come up in terms of, oh, if you buy our CRM, you're going to do all of these things. That's right. <laughs> That's great. 
right? What do I want out of a CRM? I want a lead and I want to know where that lead is in the process. So here's my, a little bit, my argument to the industry is that if you think what I'm saying is out of sync or agitates you, what I would do is challenge you that the next time you have a conversation with your vendor and they give you such a great idea, you look at the vendor and say, that is a fantastic idea. I love that. It sounds like an amazing thing that's going to happen for our business. And we're not going to pay for anything until it's fully functioning and I'll pay you on the data stream it's producing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and if you, and if your vendor box, <laughs> the software company box, if your integrator box, if you know, somebody's like, whoa, 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 how, how really good is, how really good is their capability? <laughs> this, this, Reminds me of a conversation that I was having with Jeffrey Kendall, who is the CEO of Nimbus. And we were talking about mm. the need for technology firms, whether they're FinTech, MarTech, SalesTech, mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Put some skin in the game, right? Yep. Like 100%. Co-create, yep. co-collaborate. The entire paradigm is shifting here. And it's one of the reasons that as an organization, you know, we stay tech agnostic. We're more interested in what's the problem that you're looking to solve. Let's start there because it's almost like uh, a hammer or a nail. It's like you can, you can go find something to hit for sure, but is it? Are you even hitting in the right place, or do you just need to turn a couple knobs? Down? So I think it all comes down to the problem. Figure that out first and, and dive yeah. deeper there. And you mentioned data. I think the point of data, because I wrote about data in, in banking on digital growth, um, being like oil um, in today's digital economy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Why? Why is data so crucial to execution? Uh, <laughs> it's as crucial to execution as, again, I'll go back to a credit score, a bond rating to being able to return on that investment. I mean, look, we live in a in a world of of uh, of data collection. What I would challenge the listener to consider is that Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know, name your platform. Yep. The entire purpose of that is to capture your behavior and then feed you content that will drive more sales or more engagement with that content, right? So it's on the surface of it, it's I'm providing you entertainment through my platform, Instagram, TikTok, so YouTube, whatever it may be. On the back end, I'm trying to figure out which bucket of people you belong into, right? And mm -hmm. all of those folks, especially younger folks out there are like, I am unique. No, you're not. <laughs> Because right. they're identifying common patterns of people at scale. Yep. And yeah. you're getting sold. Right. Every day. Yeah. Every day you're getting tuned in for what is your behavior pattern? What are you watching? What are your interests? What's your likes? All of those things. Yep. And you're getting sold. Yep. You're just getting sold in a very soft-handed, um, data-driven way. Now- for executing strategic initiatives, it is no different, right? We are looking for the underlying data that helps us understand what is going on, right? Do we have alignment in the enterprise to do the thing we want to do? Mm. And then where we don't, 
we need to correct that before we begin to do the work. Yeah. Because otherwise I'm doing the core work and I'm trying to figure out, right? So if I'm sitting in a wood shop, I'm trying to build a table and I'm and I'm focused on building the table. And oh, by the way, oh, I've got to go and uh, figure out how to fix the drill press, or I've got to go figure out how to get that, that uh, table saw to fit something wider. Or now I've got three projects or four projects to do one thing. Whereas yeah. that if I had, I've gotten my ducks in a row, um, it would have worked better. So now I'll give you a sports analogy that works in the same context, right? So people come to me and say, well, look, we've built this model for execution and we just simply repeat that model. And because that's a winning model, we're going to use that model. So if you're a sports fan and your team that, you know, or any team that won the Super Bowl last year, World Series, uh, World Cup in soccer, uh, NBA championships, uh, Stanley Cup, on and on and on, right? By that nature of thinking, that team from last year should automatically win the next year because they have the formula. Do they? No. Why? Conditions change. Every single game, they change. Every single game, strategy needs, to your point, needs to be adapted, needs to be rethought, right? But execution is the variable as to whether you're going to win or lose. And having that insight, that data, in terms of where is the misalignment in your own business, because the model is not uh, statically replicable. Meaning that if you use this model to do this effort well, it doesn't mean that the next one is gonna work the same because the conditions are different. The field is different. The players are different. Everything is different. And so we need to start to adapt into that. We need to understand that everything is situational in real time. That idea of real time ongoing optimization, I think it's a microcosm of a macro opportunity here, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's CRO, it's conversion rate optimization yes. on a landing page. Uh, your, great, your analogy is wonderful of social media and the use of those data streams. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with sports. So practically speaking, where's an opportunity for financial brands to adapt and and really gain an understanding of the role of data analytics in regards to execution of strategy um because i i think you know it's there's a lot of talk there's a lot of hype but then like it's it's about practically Mm -hmm. applying this at the end of the day yes the data that you need in order to understand your execution alignment in association to any initiative that you're looking to fund and move forward on, that data exists in your business today, right? It is something that simply needs to be harvested mm. in the correct way and then compiled so that you can produce actionable insight from it, right? It exists. The gap that most entities have is that they go back and then they apply a 1995 model to collecting the data and trying to synthesize it into something that's usable. For us, we saw this in the fact that many entities use a consultative engagement to come in and assess readiness. But the problem is that it's all manual, it's all opinion-based, and all the cognitive biases start to play in. And I can tell you, having been a consultant at that table, in that room, at those conversations, is that you are trying to appease many different primary stakeholders in the process. So are you gonna be critical? No, because you're gonna upset a bunch of people, right? So you want things to move in a, in a very smooth way. As a result, most of the feedback that comes from a manual assessment, A, takes anywhere from one to three months to accomplish, B, costs you from 100,000 to $6 million to do in an assessment, right? We're, our position is you need to collect that data 
and have that synthesized response and, and actionable insight in two to five days. Yeah. Let's, and you need, and then you need to apply that. Let's yeah. talk about that because you have developed uh, the REM score, the readiness score yes. that helps organizations avoid. Mm-hmm. I think this is the key point. We're avoiding the strategic debacles and the obstacles right. that trip so many up. And it's like, in my mind, like this is where stoic wisdom comes back into play because the obstacle can be the way when we understand what those obstacles are. So what what is this score? How does it work? What does it measure? Because mm-hmm. I, I know there are 14 domains of measurement here to get some right. clarity around. So what we did is we looked at uh, data and studies from behavioral economists, from industry leaders like the McKenzie's, the Baines, and others, uh, and uh, other academic institutions that have have sort of analyzed a what is why are decisions being done poorly, and b uh, what is driving failure in that context, and we simply connected those dots and we created. Uh, 14 domains that are representative of all of the different areas that need to be considered in any strategic initiative, right? Regardless of whether it's an integration of an acquisition, AI, machine learning launch, moving to the cloud, uh, back office optimization, new product or new market uh, penetration. And we did two things. We created those domains to to work within the, the core construct of the model that works off of a swarm intelligence methodology, right? So in essence, it adapts to how the data is being collected and where the patterns are and begins to drive more data collection in a particular uh, direction. Then it categorizes them in these 14 domains, two of which are technology driven. Others are like vision, business capability, management capability, the ability for the organization to adapt to the concept, so on and so on. And it really gives that 360 perspective and says, ah, this is where the the two or three picadillos are. These are the things that are going to trip us up. If we focus and correct those prior to doing our work, A, it's cheaper. B, yep. it's faster to resolve. C, you're not exposing yourself to a whole bunch of scrutiny from different people. Um, and so as a result, it has a lower friction rate of resolution. And then when you get into the point of execution, now everybody is in well aligned. Plus, they've probably worked together to resolve some of those blind spots, those those uh, what we call vulnerabilities. And now the team is moving as a holistic unit through that execution process. All objectively removing the emotional biases out of it so that we can see things more clearly for what they are in the present moment. I want to get real practical as we start to wrap up. And and, and Alex, I I appreciate the thinking that you've shared. All transformation that leads to future growth, small, simple steps. Mm-hmm. What's one small, simple step that the dear listener can take to begin to bridge the strategy and execution gap at their financial brand? Something simple. I would say very sim- very simply, uh, past performance does not indicate future success. So mm-hmm. in the sense that do not assume that because you either failed or succeeded in the past, that that is going to be the next motion moving forward. Release that old thinking. And if you can re- begin there, begin with the release of that thinking. Now you have room for more, what I like to call modern consideration on how you're going to do your transformation. I like that idea of release. Um, it's, it, it, it complements a mental model that we have, what's going well times L. It's W-E-L-L. It's an acronym for, and a lot of it is like just to you know continuously focus on the positive. What, where have you been winning? What are you excited about? Mm-hmm. What, what have you learned? What are you mm-hmm. looking forward to? That's future focus. But then the times L, the multiplier, 
-hmm. let go, let go. What do you need to let Mm -hmm. go to grow? Because I think we attach so much to Mm -hmm. what we've done before, both positively Mm -hmm. and negatively, that that becomes the impediment, that becomes the roadblock to achieve that next level up. Alex, this has been a fantastic conversation. What is the best way for someone to reach out, connect, say hello, but also get a copy of your book as well? Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Happy to respond in a conversation. You can always uh, reach me through the MCorp website, www.vthe-mcorp.com. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm happy to share. Love to have a good chat. I'm always uh, up for learning and and sharing and and providing people uh, copies of the book uh, as they need it. So pretty easy to find me. Yeah. Good stuff. Connect with Alex, learn with Alex, grow with Alex, get the book as well. Alex, thanks for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. It's been completely my pleasure. And and thank you for the opportunity to speak with your audience. As always. And until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.